We remember in reviewing that these names were super important, right? Zechariah means God remembers, Berechiah, God blesses, and Edu at the appointed time. So when you put them all together, there's a message just in the etymological uh, meaning of these names, right? God remembers and God blesses at the appointed time. That's sometimes the problem, right? We want things in our time. God says, no, no, <laughs> things are in my time. And we'd be much better off and have a much happier life if we just said, no, I'm going to wait on your time, Lord, uh, because he's never late and he's always on time. We looked also at how God's plans are bigger than our plans. Just as the new Jerusalem is bigger than Jerusalem, right? That's 4,000, is that kilometers? Square, and then it's that tall too. I mean, that's just, we can't, we can't get that in our minds, I don't think, but it would definitely take in Asia, the Middle East, parts of Af Africa, Ethiopia, and Europe. That's how big the city is going to be, the new Jerusalem. So we look forward for that. That's where we will dwell by faith if we are faithful. Again, in review, we see that the restoration is going to be better. It's going to be bigger beyond our imagination, both in quantity and quality. God has better plans eternally for you than you could possibly imagine. Eye has not seen, neither has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the plans that God has for his children. Amen? That's you. That's me. Again, we saw last week that God sees us as the apple of his eye or the pupil, right? And we noted how that's a very valuable member of our body. We really want to protect our eyes. And God loves us as much as you love the most important part of your body. God loves you more than that. You are the apple of his eye. And he wants to explain that to you for eternity. Wouldn't you want to be there to hear that story? I'm sure you would. <clears throat> Keys for understanding for today. The temple God is building today has Christ as the stone, capital S, and the believers as living stones, small s. Right, the third or last temple is not a temple that's going to be built in the Middle East, which, by the way, they do have the stones already prepped for that temple in Texas, waiting to be um, carried over there. But that is not the third temple that the Bible talks about. The last temple is God's church. It's you. And just another scripture on that. We looked at probably the best scripture on that is Acts 15, verse 4. But here's a different one, which is good also. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Christ, capital S, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, small s, are being built into a spiritual house. This is the last temple that God is building. It's you and me. His goal is to restore you, to restore me back to fellowship, unbroken fellowship with him. Israel, yes. The temple, the city, yes. The church today, yes. But you, God wants to restore you to unbroken fellowship with him. This is a key for understanding, especially for today's message. 
And I think we've, we might have this, but just to make sure, the prophet is a representative of God to the people, right? When the prophet speaks, he says, thus saith the Lord. It's as if God is speaking when the prophet's speaking, right? But the priest, it's just the other way around, right? The priest is a representative of the people to God. Hopefully we got that, right? So what's happening to the priest, it's as if that's the people in the priest. When you see the priest, that's the people, when you see the prophet, that's God, or at least speaking. So hopefully that'll come clear because we're going to look at a courtroom scene in which the priest is clothed with filthy garments of all things. How could the priest do that? Another key for understanding, and this is crucial too, in understanding salvation. And that's why, Becky, thank you for reading Romans 3. That's probably the best passage on justification, justification by faith, which, of course, Martin Luther said, if you, if you don't get that right, you've missed it all. Calvin said it's, it's the hinge that opens the whole door of Christianity. Super important. That's probably the best passage, but this may be the best picture here in Zechariah chapter 3. So here it is. Before you could possibly turn to the Lord in confession and repentance, God had to do something first, and he did it. God must first solve the legal problem between the holy law and the sinful race. We're going to see exactly how he did that. But first, we're going to have an illustration of double imputation and propitiation. And I've asked three brave students from Battle Creek Academy to help me. So come on up, you guys. And we'll get this going here. So, uh... <clears throat> all right. So, Sophia, if you will help Daniel put, and so this is the, the, the front, that's the back, that's the front, yeah. And then, just a little illustration here. I'll just throw that there for now. Okay, and this goes, no, that's, yeah, sorry, yeah. Okay, so here we have an illustration of imputation, right? Actually, it's actually double imputation, right? And we're going to see this in the scripture. That goes the other way, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, normally you'd have it right in the front, but <clears throat> not in this case. And, um, yeah, just like slanting like a smock or something. <clears throat> okay, all right, pull that up. You still look too clean. All right, that's better, that's better. Okay, so double imputation. So in the story, in the Bible that we're going to read in Zechariah 3, we have the high priest of all people, and he looks like this. By the way, that's just spray paint. It's not really dirty. That won't come off on you, see? Um, so... <clears throat> So he's, not only is he dirty, the word in the Bible is filthy. And I don't want to get too graphic, but that's really dirty. I mean, it's the kind of garment that's so dirty that you really need to either burn or bury it because it has either blood or excrement or vomit on it. I mean, that's, this is not dirty. This is, wow. I mean, this is throw it away dirty. Um, but then the other robe, which Miss Olivia is 
dawning here is the white robe of Christ's righteousness, right? So you have Christ and his righteousness, and you have all, really, the whole human race. It's Israel, but it's bigger than that. It's the whole human race, as Daniel is. We all are, right? That's us in our sins. So what does Christ do? Well, first, he takes off the sinful garment. I have a slide. I may have it in my presentation where he just puts the new garment over the, sin, the dirty one. That's not the way it works, right? He takes the old one off. And so Sophia now will help Daniel take that off. Okay, bring that over here, and I will hold that for a moment. Yes, and now Olivia will take that clean rope. So now Christ is imputing his righteousness to the human race. Are you getting this? And Daniel's going to put that beautiful white robe on. So this is imputation. It's being, it's being given to him, right? <laughs> Perfect, right? So that, that is imputation, right? But we haven't gotten to the other part. And what, what uh, Zechariah actually doesn't cover in this scripture, but if he, if he told the whole Bible story, he would have. What happens to this garment? Somebody tell me, what happens to this garment? I'm hearing a few little smatterings. You can really tell me what happens, like, out loud. Say again? It is cast in the depths of the sea, but we're looking at double imputation here, right? Something has, this, this has to be, quote-unquote, paid for, right? Jesus takes it upon himself. So now Sophia will help her sister put this on. So hopefully this illustration will kind of you know, get, so this is now double imputation, right? To, to, to Christ was imputed our sins, right? He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Is that good news or what? Come on, say amen. So thank you so much, you guys. Uh, you can actually, I will, I will take the robes and I'm going to just hang them up here because I may uh, refer to them. You guys have been fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Can I hear an amen for the Battle Creek Academy folks who helped us out here? Amen, amen. Okay. Is that, no, that's inside out. <clears throat> All right, so that has illustrated for us imputation or actually double imputation, right? Because to Christ was imputed, right, our sins. He took our sins. Isaiah 53, the scriptures are on and on and on, right? But to us was given the beautiful, pure, spotless robe of Christ's righteousness. Amen? Ah, and that's the story we read in Zechariah chapter 3. God has rescued the race and has chosen you. It's three times in the book of Zechariah. It's in chapter 1, just before the four horns and the four carpenters. Some of you weren't here for that, but trust me, it's there. And then in chapter 2, again, he says, I, I chose you. And then again in chapter 3, he says, I chose you. And that's good news. What will you do with God's choice of you? Right? That's the question now. He's already made his choice. But what will you do with his choice of you? Because he won't force his choice on you. Right? I mean, it's already made. He's not turning from it. 
But if you choose to turn away from his choice of you, you always have that freedom. But who would want to do that? Amen? Our only argument, our only plea, is the precious, saving, righteousness Christ for us. When the gavel comes down, what will be the decision? That is, for you and I, and for the human race as all, has a decision already been rendered for us with his choice of you? I believe it has, and we'll look at that further as we look at our scriptures today. Let's pray first. Father in heaven, now as we turn to your holy word, send your spirit upon us. Give us clarity of understanding. Give us conviction of the Spirit as to our standing, our identity in Christ. And, oh, Lord, send us forth from this place changed. May we never be the same. Make us catalysts of this great, amazing, beyond belief sometimes, good news to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Zechariah chapter 3. And I don't know what I just did there. And verse 1. So this is the buildup, right? What is the decision going to be rendered? Because as we read here, Joshua is there. He's the high priest, and he's got on filthy, and I already described to you how filthy the garment is. And you know, he has no defense. As it says in Romans, every mouth is stopped, right? There is nothing we can say. Satan's telling the truth this time, <laughs> We are sinful. We are black. We are horrid. We're despicable in every way. That's us inside, not just a garment, right? By the way, that garment, it just represents, I mean, that sort of doesn't do it justice, just putting something white on. But I mean, it's something that works within, amen? It's through and through. Every fiber of our being is that. And so what will happen? I mean, there he is. He's, he's dead to rights, as they say, right? I mean, he's guilty. I mean, he's filthy. He has nothing to say. In fact, through this whole thing, Joshua doesn't say anything. He has no defense. But you better believe that Satan is making quite a case. How can you save these people? Look at them. They're filthy. Well, we'll find out the answer as we read now in Zechariah chapter 3. And if you can find it before I do, good job. Zechariah chapter 3. Go to Matthew, go back to Malachi, and then the next book back is Zechariah. We've been looking at the eight visions given in one night. This is vision number four. And oh, is it crucial. Verse 1, I've got the authorized version this morning, the King James. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. We noted that that was code for Christ himself. He's not an angel. This is a, a title. Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan at his right hand to accuse him. The Hebrew has a twist on the words there. Satan is there to Satanize him. The accuser is there to accuse him. The devil is doing what the devil does, right? He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing in your life all the time, trying to discourage you 
that you can be saved or that can, you can be used mightily for his work. Don't let him have his way. And so we see the scene. I mean, what's he going to do? He's, he's guilty. What will anyone say? Well, someone does say something, and praise the Lord, verse 2. The Lord said unto Satan, even the Lord that has chosen, there it is, Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire, a hot ember pulled back before it is burned in the fire? By the way, that garment, it needed to be either burned or buried. Christ was both right? Christ took it and he was both. He was buried, but you could say he was burnt. He tasted death for every man, your death. He's already tasted the fires of hell as, as we know it, right? For every man. There's no need, any, no need, any, no reason anyone should have to because he already has done it. You're actually taking back from him to do that. But here we see that God steps in between and says, Satan, your case is over. I have chosen this one. This one's mine. You can't have him. He's mine. He's like a brand plucked from the fire. He is pardoned. Amen? Case dismissed. Ah, the good news of the scriptures. And we looked at that in verse 2. Going on now, it's interesting. He was chosen. He was plucked. He was delivered. Verse 3, he's still wearing filthy garments, standing before the angel. Verse 4, And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity. So now we know what the filthy garments, we don't have to guess what it represents. It's thine iniquity. I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. God doesn't leave us naked, right? He takes this off first, but if we just took that off, wow, my sin and my guilt is gone. That's kind of wonderful, but I don't have any clothes on anymore, right? No, no, he doesn't just take that off. He puts this on, amen? He puts positive righteousness where sin used to be. That's what our God does. And that's what this story tells us. And then I love verse 5. Because Zechariah is so into this, he's like, he jumps in. He jumps into the middle of the story and, and becomes part of it. Look at what he does in verse 5. He's like, wait a minute, set a fair miter on his head. It's like, wait a minute, you're not part of this, Zechariah. But he was so excited, he just jumped in. And I said, right, verse 5, and I said, let them set a fair miter upon his head. So they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments. And I love this last line. The angel of the Lord stood by. 
stood by. He was by his side, and I think he was there with a smile on his face, saying, look at my man now. Now what do you say, Satan? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. This one's a brand plucked from the fire. Zechariah even adds, put that turban on his head. The clean miter with, of course, holiness unto the Lord written across. Although they have sinned, although we have sinned, Christ has taken the guilt of our sins upon his own soul. He's done this for every person on the planet. He's taken their guilt. He's taken their shame. And you're like, why are a lot of people guilty and still full of shame? Because they haven't accepted this robe yet. But he's taken it. He's paid for it. The penalty is paid. He has snatched the race, the whole human race, as a brand plucked from the fire. When he prayed that prayer, right? That last prayer, Father, forgive them. How many did that include? Everybody, right? Oh, have you accepted that in your personal life? Christ is the Savior of all men, but especially of those that believe. With his long human arm, he encircles humanity, while with his divine arm, he grasps the throne of the infinite God. He connected the two forever. He has snatched the race as a brand plucked from the fire. This is from a little book called Christ's Object Lessons. By his human nature, he is linked with man, while with his divine nature, he's one with the infinite God. Help is brought within the reach of perishing souls. The adversary is rebuked. You are a brand plucked from the fire. Oh, will you accept it today? Love what Martin Luther says, the way he says it. He has a couple great quotes on this general subject. But this is one of them. He says, so when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Come on and say amen if that's good news. And that's the truth, isn't it? As we accept that righteousness, not that we go on in our sins. That's not what Martin Luther was saying either. But the devil tries to discourage you as to the sins that you have in your life or that you've had in the past that are already under the blood. He loves to bring those back up, right? He's a great uh, dredging artist, right? He, He pulls them up from the depth of the sea. But God has forgiven that. And so forgive yourself because he's forgiven you. Accept his forgiveness and accept his power. He's taken away that guilt and shame. He's he's already borne that upon himself. And not just that, but he wants to give you this, right? He wants to change your life in a positive, desirable way. This statement, when I first read it, I'm like, where's that from? That's not even in the... I've never read that before. (laughs) But look at this. This is amazing. 
if we could just keep this in mind, we are not to be anxious about what God and Christ think of us. When I first read that, I'm like, wait a minute, I should be anxious about that. If I'm not anxious about that, I'm just going to go grossly into sin or something. No, 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 listen to this. We are not to be anxious about what God and Christ think of us, but about what God thinks of Christ, our substitute. Come on, say amen. If you're a believer, that's the way you should approach life. What does God think about Christ? What do you think God the Father thinks about Christ? Well, he, he just like loves him infinitely. Uh, they're closer than anything could be. And so that's you, right? That's you. <laughs> We're not to be anxious about what God and Christ think of us. What? But what God thinks of Christ, our substitute. You are accepted in the beloved. You're in him. He's put that robe. He looks at you as this, right? Not this. He looks at you as this. And if you will believe that, and if you will accept that, he will make you this. Amen? So he looks at you as this while he's still making you this. Amen? Only God can do that. Or maybe a parent, right? We look at our kids as that, even though they're not quite there yet. But um, they'll get there by the grace of God. With the mighty argument of the cross, Christ silences the bold accuser. Be quiet, Satan. This one's mine. That's what he's saying to you today. We've seen it illustrated in Scripture, have we not? Thrown in a heap at the feet of Jesus, just roughly thrown at his feet, was Mary, and they said, oh, ah, caught in adultery. How did they know? Hmm. Caught in adultery. What are you going to do? What are you going to say, Jesus? And so he begins to write a little message in the sand. And you know what happens. One by one, what happens to the accusers? They're out of there. They're gone. They've been silenced. And Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven, Mary. But he doesn't just say that. He says, I've taken care of this, but what else does he say? Go and sin no more, right? That's all in his power. Christ has silenced the bold accusations of the accuser. We have a high priest who stands in the heavens. He represents us. Remember the high priest? It's as if he's you. Just think of that. He's you. I mean, he's us corporately. Jesus stands in the Holy of Holies now to appear in the presence of God for us. There he ceases not to present his people moment by moment complete in himself. Where is your completeness found? In Christ and in him alone. Perfection through our own good works we can never attain. Now, through our own good works, understand context here. The soul who sees Jesus by faith repudiates his own righteousness. He sees himself as incomplete, his repentance as insufficient, 
his strongest faith but feebleness, his most costly sacrifice as meager. And he sinks in humility at the foot of the cross. But while he's there at the foot of the cross, a voice speaks. A voice speaks to him from the oracles of God's word. In amazement, he hears the message. You are complete in him. Now all is finally at rest in his soul. No longer must he strive to find some worthiness in himself, right? And that's us. We're always striving to find some worthiness in ourselves, outside of Christ, right? Do we ever find it? No, we don't. It's like ropes of sand, right? We're never getting there. Because only Christ can put that there. Find some worthiness in himself, some meritorious deed by which to gain the favor of God. Beholding the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, he finds the peace of Christ. For pardon is written against his name. And he accepts the word of God. You are complete in him. Pardon, friends, is written across your name. Amen? If you're a believer here today, if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, actually, it's written there. Anyway, will you accept his choice of you? Oh, he did it at Calvary for everyone. And that is life-changing if we will just accept it. But how hard it is for humanity long accustomed to cherish doubt, to grasp this great truth, but what peace it brings to the soul, what vital life. In looking to ourselves for righteousness, by which to find acceptance with God, we look to the wrong place. Amen? Where should we look? To Jesus. We are to look to Jesus. Oh, Christ has done it, folks. He's done this for all. Will all if, if all would accept, all could be saved. Unfortunately, all will not. That's the problem. But we need to convince as many as possible to accept, amen, what Christ has already done. I love how Wagoner puts it in the book, The Glad Tidings, the judgment will reveal the fact that full salvation was given to every man and that the lost have deliberately thrown away their spiritual birthright possession. Come on and say amen. God has given us the best gift possible. In our strength, never. Our grasp on him may seem feeble, but his love is that of an elder brother. So long as we maintain our union with him, no one can pluck us out of his hand. Amen? We are secure today. And secure to do what, though? Are we just to, you know, just to glory in that? Well, yes, actually. But if we do just glory in that, we will find ourselves serving with all our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, right? That's what we say when we baptize somebody here. And it's, it's certainly true. Look at verses 6 and 7. So we are saved to serve, right? To be ambassadors of this great message. Not just with our words, but with our life. A changed life, verse 6 and 7. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, actually, the Hebrew, you might have other versions, but basically he solemnly swore by oath, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, God Almighty, Yahweh Sabaoth, 
If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my charge, then thou shalt also, shalt also judge my house and also keep my courts, and I will give you places to walk among those that stand here. So this is the faith response, right? This is something that was done outside of us, but it's also something that needs to be done inside of us, right? There's sort of two phases of this. Christ did this for the whole world, but we need to do it individually, amen? It needs to come individually. And when it does, we'll find that we're just want to shine for Christ. Now, we may not get it right all the time, but this is the life we want to live, right? And this is who we are, not this, right? We want to follow his desires, not our own. And this thing of following our own desires is taking on new, (laughs) epic, horrible proportions in our world today, right? Oh, it's our desires. If if, uh, uh, an adult and a child, you know, are drawn to each other, well, that's okay. I mean, you know, we have our desires. It's not okay, (laughs) right? I mean, we want to just follow our desires and on our time plan. And God says, no, no, no. He says, this is what we need. His righteousness, right? His purity, his holiness. It's not about us. It's about him. But we are saved in order to serve, to be changed men and women. As we close the message this morning, look at verses 8 through 10 and There's a whole sermon on either one of these, the branch or the stone, uh, both, of course, pointing to Christ. But then there's another message in verse 10 with which we will close. But look at uh, 8 through 10. So we've seen the salvation of God. We've seen that you are a brand plucked from the fire. As a believer, you have every right to be hopeful and encouraged today because Christ is your Savior. As God looks down, he sees Christ And he sees you in Christ, if you're a believer. Amen? That's what he sees. It's a beautiful thing. That is your encouragement. Because, let me tell you, in the last days, before Jesus comes, in the time of trouble that is to come, this is going to happen again, right? To believers. He is going to accuse. And unless we are solidly founded in Christ and in his righteousness, if we're ever going to start looking at ourselves, it's going to become a very discouraging picture. If we'll keep our eyes on him, it will always be a good picture. Amen? That's what's to come. All right, let's look at verses 8 through 10 here. It says this, Hear now, O Joshua, high priest, thou and the fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. Now remember, this is a message to the remnant that came out of Babylon that were rebuilding the temple. These are men that are wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. The remnant are men or people, men and women, wondered at through fierce trial. They have kept the faith and received and kept the atonement. They have kept the commandments of God and kept the faith of Jesus. These are men to be wondered at. We saw that in the first vision, right? The myrtle trees down among the bottom and the myrtle leaves when they're, when they're crushed, they still have a sweet smell to them. The only way that's going to happen to us when we're in that low position to still be sweet in our, the way we 
react to others is if Christ is dwelling within. That's the only way. So through fierce trials, these, this remnant are men to be wondered at. Some of us will go before courts. Let's face it. Maybe someone right here. Some of us may be imprisoned for our faith. Uh, we know what's coming from the book of Revelation, right? And the good news is we know who wins. Amen? <laughs> we know the end of the story. So none of that should, should faze us. God will be with us all the way. But we will be men and women wondered at. Why, what is it about this, this God that they serve? What is it about this Sabbath that they observe? What makes them so you know, staunch in their belief? What faith they have? Men and women wondered at. That's to be us. As God reveals himself as the branch. Oh, there's many scriptures on the branch. You can look them up yourself if you want to just, you know, do a word search for branch. But <clears throat> Jeremiah, of course, Zechariah here again in chapter 6. Again in Isaiah, the branch is representative of the king, of a servant, of man, and of the glorious deliverer, the branch. And my the old King James has branch, all capitalized, and that is actually accurate. We're talking about Christ, the branch. And this isn't to be seen as this glorious, huge branch. No, no, this is like the, the little uh, stem that comes out of the stump of David, right? If you look at Isaiah 52 and 53. Humble branch, servant branch, that's Christ. And that's us as we've accepted his righteousness, right? We'll be servants. We'll be servants. Verse 9, for behold the stone another imagery of Christ, laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes or perfect vision. We see that also in the book of Revelation, the seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts. I wonder what's engraved there. Could it be your name? Could it be your name engraved there? And then this, this last line of verse 9, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. That, my friends, points us to the cross of Calvary where Christ took our sins and said, it is finished, amen? And he did it. He did finish it. It's finished in him. Now he's waiting to finish it in us, and in the whole world and the universe. And that's soon to come, very soon. Verse 10, in that day says the Lord of hosts. We'll be so happy because we've accepted the cross that we'll want to call every man or every one of us will want to call his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree and tell him the story of Calvary. The work of Satan as an accuser began in heaven. This has been his work on earth ever since man's fall and don't miss this. It will be his special work, or it will be his work in a special sense that is to accuse you and I. It will be his work as we approach near to the close of this world's history. So where's our hope? Where's our righteousness? Where shall we look? To Jesus. Amen? To Jesus and to Jesus alone. 
The Lord's people cannot of themselves answer the charges of Satan as they look to themselves. They're ready to despair. Ever been there? (laughs) But they appeal to the divine advocate. Amen. Amen. It's not on them. They plead the merits of the Redeemer. God can be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Sin was dealt with in one day. And that was that beautiful cross, which we're going to sing about now. If you want to turn in your, well, maybe up on the screen too, uh, 312 in your hymnals near the cross, and somebody's going to come out and lead that now. So let's sing about the cross as we think about all that Christ has done. Iniquity, our guilt, our shame was done away within one day at the cross. And oh, how he waits to apply that redemption to us now.
Amen. Let's pray as we close. And I want to encourage you with these two garments here to accept Christ as your righteousness today. It's not a given that everybody in any given congregation has done that. I mean, I look out, I see a lot of people I know, but have you accepted? Maybe it's time to do this anew, to accept Christ as your righteousness. Oh, he longs to put this on you personally. What he's done corporately, he longs to do for you in your personal life. Oh, won't you let him do it today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, when the enemy comes to accuse and to depress and to distract us from you, we can know that he has already been dealt with. You've said, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Lord, we've been pulled out of that fire because you went through the fires of hell, the hell of the Bible for us. You tasted that second death. And Lord, maybe there's one here today that hasn't received that new robe. They haven't received the cleansing from the old robe and the putting on of the new. Please, Lord, work in that one heart, in that one mind today. Oh, Lord, your arms are open wide. You're waiting. You're just hoping that that one who you created, who you love, will come to you and accept you as their personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you are calling, that you are wooing, and the goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. And Lord, may today be the day of a new life for eternity in you. We accept your perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you for what you've done for all of us. We want that personally, Lord. Please do it in our lives. Make us that beautiful, glowing white robe of righteousness, not just a robe on our outside, but through and through. May Christ dwell within. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's what we want, Lord. We ask for it. We receive it because you see us in Jesus, and we ask it in his perfect and holy name. Amen. Amen. 